Generation Mix. Hello and welcome to Generation Mix. This is the podcast where a father and a son review the CDs that have been making for the son for the last seven years. I'm the dad, I'm Neil. I'm the son, I'm Joel. And if you picked up on our musical clue from last time, we are listening to the music of... Iron Maiden. Yes, I've been looking forward to this one. I haven't. So Iron Maiden are a heavy metal band from the UK. Oh. And I've been an Iron Maiden fan for a very long time. Way back to the like early 90s. We're going to be trawling through their entire career up to the date the CD was recorded, which was the release of their 16th album, which was called Book of Souls. But we're going to dive straight in with one of their biggest hits and arguably their most poppy single that they ever released. I mean, this is the closest thing that Iron Maiden ever get to pop. It was a number three hit in 1988. It's Can I Play With Madness. So that was Can I Play With Madness. What do you think, Joel? It was all right. All right. That... My main problem is I can't get over his voice. I don't like it at all. Well, not every song on here is going to have been sung by Bruce Dickinson. So Bruce Dickinson okay. is their classic era vocalist. There's no vocalist quite like him. I've never particularly liked incredibly... Husky, raspy male voices. This is from the album Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, which, guess which number album that was in their career? Seven. Correct. This is featuring their classic lineup, which featured Steve Harris, the band founder and bass guitarist and principal songwriter, Dave Murray, the lead guitarist who'd, who's the only member of the band who's been with them throughout the entirety of their recording career. Adrian Smith, who joined in 1981, he's the second lead guitarist. Bruce Dickinson, who joined in 1982. And Nico McBrain, who joined in 83. And they recorded in total four albums with that lineup that are all part of this 1980s classic era. We're going to go right to the beginning of the classic era, but with their first vocalist, which was Paul Diano. So, a very different type of vocalist. At the time as well, the second guitarist was Dennis Stratton and the drummer was Clive Burr. And this is the song that, probably more than anything else, introduced me to Iron Maiden because it was used on a LucasAid advert with Daley Thompson, the decathlete and Olympic gold medalist. It's Phantom of the Opera.
I think Phantom of the Opera is a great song. I think it just sits outside my top 100 songs. It's from their debut album, which came out in 1980, simply titled Iron Maiden. As I said, the lead vocalist was Paul Diano. He did two albums with them before he was fired. It wasn't always plain sailing with Bruce Dickinson. And he left the band in 1993 after their ninth album, Fear of the Dark. The 90s were not a good time for Iron Maiden. The album released in 1990, No Prayer for the Dying, whilst it contained two top five singles, one of which got to number one, called Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, was not well received and it's not a particularly good album. And his vocals were full on scratchy on that record because they were trying to do a back to basics, almost like the debut album. Things were a little bit better for, for Fear of the Dark, although I tend to personally prefer No Prayer for the Dying a little bit more. And then he left. They got a new vocalist in called Blaze Bailey, released two pretty awful albums. And then in 1999, they persuaded Bruce to rejoin. And... That's the lineup that has been with the band ever since. And we will touch on that lineup a little bit later. This next track comes from the what's known as now the reunion lineup. It is from Dance of Death and it's called Rainmaker. And just listen out for the opening notes of the guitar part. Because the reason it's got the name it has is because when Dave Murray, the guitarist, was playing this riff, Bruce Dickinson said... It sounds like raindrops. Well, we've got 17 tracks total on this CD, so it better start to become your part of music by the time we get to the end. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have a thoroughly meh time. I'm having a great I time. Actually, I actually, I'm not disliking it. By all right, I mean it's good, but it's not something I'd immediately think to listen to. Did you to. just hear that? He actually said it's good. That is a step ah, forward, young man. Ah. So if I, say, if I say all right again, it's just, I wouldn't, it, that just kind of just means I like it, but I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't ever choose to put it on. Okay. Well, I've got plenty of Iron Maiden albums you could borrow 
if you ever decide you want to put one on. Rainmaker comes from Dance of Death. It was the second single from the record. My personal view is it should have been the first. It's it's by far the better track. And they, they've often done that, actually, released the second single from an album as being the better one. But I, th I think Rainmaker is a great song. I love the guitar work on it. For me, it's Maiden's last great short single because they they released they be, they've become known for doing very long epic songs they've always done epic songs on their fifth album there's a track called rhyme of the ancient mariner which i didn't put on this because i wouldn't have had room for it and it's 13 minutes long that is quite common that they on their latest albums that they've got tracks that are over 10 minutes long regularly and that's so kind of that's seeped into their singles as well. So, but Rainmaker is a kind of like three and a half minute banging tune, and probably their last great short single for me. And speaking of great short singles, we come to their first ever top 10 hit from 1982. This one might be your favorite because you know this yeah. song pretty well. <laughs> probably. From Number of the Beast, their first number one album, and for many people, their best album. It's the first time that Bruce Dickinson's vocals were ever heard on a Maiden song when Run to the Hills was released. I do actually really like this one. It's a, it's a great song. It, there was a time I didn't like it. And not because I didn't like Maiden, but because I think it was overplayed. Quite a violent imagery in the song about the, the manifest destiny behaviour of America and the kind of wars between Native Americans and... The Invaders, from a quite a visceral album as a whole number of the beasts. There's quite a few songs with some kind that kind of lyrics. We had a great video of you and your sister in the back of a car when you would have been seven. I think she was not quite yet turned five. And we were driving back from London and this came on the CD. And they were both... <laughs> banging in the back seat <laughs> it's so funny and Ruth's timing she stopped at the exact moment the song stopped and she didn't know it that well it was just really funny and to follow it I picked a track from Power Slave their fifth album when they were basically 
on fire as a band, absolutely at the top of their powers, with a song that got to, I think, number 12 in the charts and is in my top 100 songs. It's the song all about the doomsday clock with two minutes to midnight. admit it there is a rasp in his voice thank you very much two minutes to midnight joel it's all right is that a good all right still yes this was their longest single up to that point it was the first one that they released that went over the five minute mark but for me it never ever feels like it's a five minute long song it's one of those ones it should that be a two minute long song <laughs> because of two minutes to midnight <laughs> very funny I don't think, apart from one instrumental, I've ever released a song that's been sub two minutes. Again, I think there's a better single on the Power Slave album that they should have released first. It's coming up. So if you're a Maiden fan, you know what song is coming up when I say I think there's a better single that should have come out first. They followed the Power Slave album, which came out in 84, with a huge world tour that actually really took it out of them a lot and led to a certain amount of burnout, which we'll come back to later. Possibly set the seeds for things like Bruce Dickinson choosing to leave, and in 1990, potentially even the seeds for Adrian Smith choosing to leave. But we'll, we'll touch on that when we get to a bit more of the stuff that involves Adrian. Well, jumping forward now to what was at the time their most recent single release from the Book of Souls album. It's the second track off it but it's such a banging tune and it harks back so much to those classic 1980s days. It's Speed of Life. Why was that? Yeah, nothing in particular. I just 
I don't like the melodies as much. It's a little more. I I, I, I did quite. I did really like the guitar riff, but that's kind of a given. So at this point, they are thirty-five years into their career when they release Speed of Light, and there's a certain there's a certain aging that's evident in perhaps even the speed of what they're playing, as well as an aging quality to Bruce Dickinson's voice that I think you can tell the difference. Between... Oh, so he came back. Well, I did say he returned. Oh. When we were talking about Dance of Death, that was from the reunion era. But yes, he came back in 1999. And that lineup has been exactly the same ever since. So I mentioned previous lineups. This lineup, the reunion lineup, is that classic era that was mentioned when we were talking about Can I Play with Madness? Plus Yannick Gares, who was the replacement guitarist for Adrian Smith in 1990. When Adrian also rejoined at the same time as Bruce Dickinson, they took the decision to go with three guitarists rather than say to Yannick, bye, you're off. They actually are now a six-piece and have been ever since 99. So that's 24 years. It's the longest, most static lineup. And clearly they're enjoying what they're doing. They're happy with what they're doing. They are touring the heck out of everything. They're constantly almost on tour. And... They obviously enjoy what they do because they're still going after 43 years since their debut record. Let's dive back to the Paul Diano era. And this is their second album, Killers. If there's one thing I'm Maiden are famous for, it's their mascot. Now, do you know have you do you know what that is? I can't remember what his name is, but it's the zombie thing. That's it's the Eddie. Yeah. Eddie the Head. And He's on every single Iron Maiden album cover in some format or other. The incarnation of Eddie that's on the front cover of Killers is probably the most famous of all of them. It's the one that's appeared on more t-shirts than any other. So on the front cover of Killers, as the name of the album suggests, he is in the process of having hatcheted someone to death. Holding that. You don't see that bit and grinning maniacally at you out of the album cover. This track is from Killers. It's one of the oldest tracks from their entire canon. They, they could have recorded this and put it on Iron Maiden, apparently, but didn't. It was recorded for something called the Soundhouse Tapes, which was in 1979, but they held it over until the second album. I think this would have fit really well on the first. It's also the first album that featured Adrian Smith, who'd replaced Dennis Stratton. It's Wrathchild. Listen to the bass on this, because you're learning bass at the moment. This is worth listening out for. I'm never 
bass waffle. Oh, it's phenomenal on that. And you can tell it's been written by the bassist. Yeah. They give themselves such a good part on that. Other, other than that, it was it was all right. It wasn't anything I turn on, as I've already said. But like, Well, that might change as you get older. There was a time I wasn't interested in ever listening to Iron Maiden. I was, probably when I was your age, it was another two or three years when I really got turned on to them, when I was 16, 17. I already have my revenge planned, and you will probably think the same thing to what I have for my revenge, despite metal and the genre I've picked not being that far off. Like, okay. still pretty far off, but like... We're a bit nervous. <laughs> Sixth album was called Somewhere in Time. It's the one that came after that massive tour. Bruce Dickinson was certainly burnt out. But Adrian Smith turned up at the studios with three fully formed, complete songs. One of which is my favourite Maiden song. And that's what we're going to listen to now. Just listen to the guitar on this. It's wasted years. That's my favourite Maiden song, so I'm hoping you'll be at least... Oh, I did, actually. Really <laughs> like that. Good, 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 it just, good. It just took me a second to think. I have a problem with it, though. What? And I'm not fond of the Somewhere in Time album. It's probably my least favourite. In fact, no, probably. It is my least favourite of the 1980s seven albums from the classic era. And it's... The production on that particular album always sounds like it was recorded in a barn. It's just, I don't know, I just don't like the production on the whole album. And it's the same producer who did everything from Killers all the way through to Fear of the Dark, which, by the way, was actually recorded in a barn. But it, just the sound, I, I can't explain it. it it's it's muddyish to me and it means I, I enjoy the album less. I'd love to hear a remix of Somewhere in Time. I don't think they'll ever do it. Now, I've already mentioned that Bruce Dickinson left the band in 1993 and they replaced him with a vocalist called Blaze Bailey. And let's just say if the 90s were, had started badly for the band, they were about to get worse. There is nothing particularly wrong with Blaze Bailey's vocals. He's just not suitable for this band. He's better on the material that's written with his voice in mind, but when he was performing live songs that were done originally by Bruce Dickinson, he couldn't cope with the range. And actually, they released two albums with Blaze Bailey as their lead vocalist. The first one is called X Factor. It's their 10th album, hence the X. And it's my least favourite album by Iron Maiden. I, it's so depressing. 
It reflects the fact that Steve House was going through divorce at the time. It's incredibly long and feels every minute of its near 80-minute runtime. And I dislike it. And then they followed it up with an album called Virtual Eleven. And for some, that was even worse. But for me, the Blaze Bailey era was not a complete dead loss because we got this from Virtual Eleven, Future Real. I did really like the guitar riff, just didn't really like the melodies. When he was three, I used to put this on and he'd run into the room excited by the opening of this song. Which is why I thought you might enjoy an introduction CD to Iron Maiden, because you really, really like Future Real. Future Real was the second single from Virtual Eleven. The first single, The Angel and the Gambler, is routinely cited as Maiden's worst ever song. Future Real should have been the lead single from Virtual Eleven. It would have, in my view, it would have been a hit. It's three minutes. It does not outstay its welcome. But here's the thing is I'm, in some ways, I'm glad it wasn't because if this had been a hit, then I think the reunion era with Bruce wouldn't have happened. It's possible that they would have continued with Blaze Bailey as the vocalist and they're better with Bruce than they are with Blaze. But like I say, the era was not a complete dead loss. There is maybe one album's worth of decent material from across the whole of the Blaze Bailey era that could make one all right album. Future Real would definitely be on it because Future Real is fantastic and it's the only song on this CD that I picked from the 90s. It's Therefore, I'd say my favourite Maiden track of the whole of the 1990s is Future Real. We need to go right back to the beginning now. Returning to the debut Iron Maiden album for their debut single. And this was what announced them to the world. It is Running Free. Me. 
weird. Really? I thought oh, you'd really like that because it's almost a punky vibe to it, like a pop punk. It's not. No, pop. it's it not really, really. Wasn't. It's not pop punk, but there is an energy to that that owes a debt to punk. I mean, Maiden would say that they were never ever punk, but I think there's a, a punkish vibe to that. Mm, I disagree. <laughs> well, you know what? You're on the side of Iron Maiden. You're not on the side of me. That's okay. fine. This is a very single heavy compilation that I made you because I thought if I gave you quite a lot of singles, it might lead you to getting into the band. I'd love to see Iron Maiden live. I'd like to have someone go with me, but by the sounds of it, it's not going to be you, is it? No. Which is a shame. I'm not I might, if I have had been to some other concerts, I might have said yes, but I would never want Iron Maiden to be one of my first <laughs> concerts that I ever go to, because I've never been to a concert. I'd want it to be like Charlie Puth or Fall Out Boy or oh, I'd Demi like Lovato. See, I'd quite or, like to see Charlie Puth. I'm not a huge fan of live albums, with a few exceptions. One exception being Live After Death by Iron Maiden. The document of that tour that I mentioned before that was for Power Slave. And I've picked a track from Live After Death. This was originally a single from the Peace of Mind album. It's called Flight of Icarus. The reason I picked the live version is because it's slightly faster and I like the energy of it. Disappointing me. I'm sorry. I like Flight of Icarus. You had a, a decent lot. run until the last two. Flight of Icarus was specifically written to try and have a hit in America. And it kind of worked. And it's one of the reasons why it was slower on the album than it is on the live version, is so that it would actually be radio friendly. Earlier, I mentioned that I think there was a better single. That could have been released as the first single from Power Slave. It was released as the second single instead. And I owned the T-shirt of this single cover. I loved it. It's Aces High.
Aces high. You're kidding me. No, I did actually quite like that one, but I just didn't know what to say. <laughs> well, frenetic guitar work on it. Mm. The, the speed of the song is something. Any ideas what it's about? Fighter pilots? Correct. It is about specific fighter pilots, but which ones, Joel? Oh, no. Well, you've been to the museum in Folkestone, a couple of fern, dedicated yeah, to yeah. these people. This is a song about the few, as in the, the Battle of Britain and fighter pilots that protected the UK in 1940. Aces High is about the Battle of Britain. And Iron Maiden have often written songs about war, but they've always had a much broader palette in terms of song subjects than many other bands. You're not going to get a lot of songs about love from Iron Maiden. There may be two or three in total. You might get a few songs that are on the raunchier side, particularly in their early era. But what you will get is things that have got literary allusions in them. I already mentioned The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is based on a Samuel Taylor Coleridge poem. You've got things like Aces High, which is about historical battles. There's another historical battle which we will come to shortly for one of their most celebrated singles. And the next song, which was their first one from the reunion era, The Return of Bruce and Everybody who was an Iron Maiden fan, more or less cheered that. And this is based around a classic 1970s horror film. It's called The Wicker Man. I think it was a great reunion single. Got into the top 10 after the diminishing returns of the Blaze Bailey era. The fact that they were back in the top 10 having a hit again. Bruce's pipes very much on display throughout the song. I think I put the single version on, which has got some backing vocals of Thy Will Be Done in the background, which aren't on the album version. Uh, the album was called Brave New World. I mentioned another song that was related to a significant battle. This battle being the Battle of Crimea, which involved Britain and Russia. This is also based on a poem that was written about that battle called The Charge of the Light Brigade. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. So this song... We're doing, we've been doing it in English. I can... I... Oh! Into the Valley of Death rode the 600. Yep. Yes. Alfred Lord Tennyson. Read it out. Boldly they rode and well into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell. That's yeah. just the bit on the, on the front cover of my favourite wow. You'll be able to say in English that you've listened to a song 
about this poem or based oh, on doing this it for poem. Ages. This song is one of their most celebrated songs of all time. It is The Trooper. Again, listen to the guitar work on this. You said it's based on Charge of the Light Brigade, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, one of the things our po our, my English teacher told me to you told well all of us to use if we need to use this in our exam um, was that the the rhythm of the uh, poem is supposed to sound like horses galloping, and when it comes to rhythm in like poems and like Shakespeare and yeah. all that stuff. I can I never hear it, even when I read it okay. out to myself. I never hear it. But with the bass line, as soon as you told me to listen to the bass line, I was like, "That's horses." It is. It's actually described <laughs> as a galloping bass line that Steve Harris does on this. Steve Harris wrote the song, and I think he's he's possibly a better songwriter than most give him credit for because he's Iron Maiden. But that is a perfect piece of instrumentation, I think, because it sounds like horses. Mm. It's a proper galloping bass line, literally galloping. And I can kind of see where your teacher's coming from, thinking about the Charge of the Light Brigade poem. Boldly they rode and well into the jaws of death. I can actually always hear that the... Where you put stress on the syllables of the poem sounds like hoof beats. Da -dum, da -dum, da -dum, da -dum. I, I think it does work. Yeah, I. Because you think about I, it, you get coconut, people go clop, 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 clop. It's exactly that rhythm. It's really quite. I'm, no, I'm not. Gonna, I never knew that. I, I know that it does sound like that. I just can't hear it. <laughs> but that one, I felt that that's even more obvious than that's supposed to be. The, the rhythm. But it's worth. We're coming, we're coming towards the end for a track that, whilst this wasn't my first Iron Maiden song that um, I grew to love or like, that I think the distinction remains with Phantom of the Opera. It was the first one I was aware of in that it was played on Radio 1 on the Friday Night Rock show before I knew I would go, was going to like Iron Maiden. It was a single, it was the current single from 1989 and it was recorded live at the NEC in Birmingham and it was a single that was released from a video. So this wasn't from an album, although it comes, the studio version is on Seventh Son of the Seventh Son. This is Infinite Dreams Live. Tell me, girl, 
slower, which you said. Yeah. Like slowest song we've heard. I, I didn't dislike that it was slower. It just felt a bit odd compared to the, all the other songs. <laughs> it was the first song I was aware of by Iron Maiden. It became a long time favourite. I adore the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son album. I I think it's their best album. Not by a very long margin, but by by some margin, just from Power Slave, and it's so cohesive. I think they're at the peak of their powers as a band, and Infinite Dreams is just an absolutely great single. It, it's remarkable, really, that they were a heavy metal band. And this was effectively the fourth single released from an eight-track album. And it was the fourth single from the album to hit the top ten. I mean, admittedly, Clairvoyant was a live version from the Donington concert, and this was a live version from the Made in England video, but they are originally from Seventh Son. Such a good album. And maybe, maybe if you were going to try an album, because they're worth hearing in their entirety sometimes, it's Seventh Son you should go for because it's also almost a concept album. Infinite Dreams is subject matter is literally dreams. So Steve Harris, part of the reason that so many of his songs could be quite visceral and nightmarish is because he suffered from night terrors. Do you know what those are? Yeah. So... He suffered from night terrors and Infinite Dreams is about that. Scared to fall asleep again because of what he might end up dreaming about. Penultimate track is from A Matter of Life and Death. This is, if I'm honest, probably going to be my least favourite track out of all of the 17 we're listening to. It's the second single and I think the last top 10 single that they've had it's different world. Tell me what you can hear, and then tell me what you see. Everybody has a different way to view the world. I would like you to know when you see the simple things to appreciate this life that's not too late. It was fine. Uh, you're happy. <laughs> I'm relatively happy, yeah. It is unquestionably my least favourite track of the 17. No question about it. But I wanted to include something from A Matter of Life and Death because it was quite an important album in their career. Like I said, they, they believed in it that much that they decided to play the entire album live on the tour. Last track. Closing track of the Number of the Beast album. Just inside my top 100 songs of all time. There was a time when this was in my top 20 songs of all time. It's Hello Be Thy Name. Screaming, my voice is 
I really hope you like that. I did like that. Yeah! Not super, but like... It may grow to become super. Hallow be their name. It's the first, for me, of their true epic songs. Every album, more or less, from that point on, contained a long epic. That was the first one that they, that I think really bottled that perfectly. And Hallow Be Thy Name, this is the one that you're most likely to find reaction videos on Bruce's singing on YouTube too. Okay. So that was it. Iron Maiden, still going. It's time for... Jaws Revenge! Hee hee. Okay, you've already forewarned me that I might not like this, but let's, let's, what is it? So according to Spotify, I listen to a, a lot of a genre called angst. It's my third most listened, it's like my third most listened to genre or something. I click on it and then the main, the first thing that like jumps out to me is Demi Lovato's most recent album. Oh, Holy... F-V-C-K. Yes. Um, and that's what you're going to play me? You're going to play me a Demi Lovato track? Yes. This is Skin of My Teeth. I think, I'm pretty sure it was the debut single of the album. Okay. And it is my favourite track on the album by quite a mile. Let's listen to it then. Sounds like a voice in my head. So that was Skin of My Teeth. What did you think? You've given me worse. A lot worse. You've given me occasionally better, but that was all right. According to Wikipedia, that's actually a pop punk rock song. Yeah, I can hear that. <laughs> yeah. Just on, on Spotify, it labels it as angst. Well, it's about, well, I think it's probably from the lyrics about the fact that she's done a huge amount of narcotics and probably ought to be dead or, or alcohol well, yeah. maybe or something. Hence that line about rehab. Well, that is the end of our Iron Maiden episode. We've got two more episodes to do for the end of this season, at the end of this book. As ever, a little bit of cross-promotion. I'd like to push my YouTube channel, Pock and Rop. Why not look it up? You'll find a link in the description to this podcast. And my new channel, First Party Idiot, which I'm finally uploading to at some point this week. I'm in the process of editing. Believe it when I see it. Literally see it. Listen out for the musical clue at the end for the next one, which, again, I'm really looking forward to, but I suspect you're not. <laughs> but until then... This is Generation Mix signing off. Bye. Bye.